Welcome to Woodson's Benefits Blast podcast, where we explore innovative ideas and trends in employee benefits and executive compensation. I'm Joe Adams, and I'm joined today by my partner, Ann Becker. During this episode, we'll be talking about how smart employers are helping their employees address the challenges of student loan debt. And in this podcast, we're going to cover four topics. What is the scope of the problem? How common are employer programs at this point? What solutions have been tried so far? And we'll walk through four different proposed solutions. And then we'll talk about what is next on the administrative and the uh, legislative front. So, and with that, can I start? Can you give us a little background on the scope of the problem? Sure, Joe. Most listeners will be familiar with, um, to a certain extent, with the scope of the student loan problem. It's in the news quite a bit. But there are a few facts. Um, here are a few facts to set the stage. The balance on outstanding student loans reached $1.6 trillion at the end of the first quarter. And more than a quarter of that is held by people younger than 30. The average person has a student loan balance of $33,332, according to the data from the American Institute of CPAs. And finally, a recent TIAA-MIT Age Lab study finds that 73% of student loan borrowers delay maximizing retirement savings to pay off their debts. And as you know, Joe, when employees don't make 401k contributions to their employer savings plans, often they also miss out on those employer matching contributions. How are employers reacting to this missed opportunity? That's a great question, Anne. Um, I And that's we really want to hammer home that point because I think we see that a lot with our employers. As many of our employers have switched away from defined benefit plans to 401k plans, this is the main retirement vehicle the 401k plan. So when you have employees like this that are delaying making 401k contributions because of their debt, it does delay the extent to which they're accumulating retirement assets and really delays the point which they can retire, which so I think a lot of, again, smart employers worry about a retirement adequacy problem that their employees might not be able to afford to retire at some point. So um, I think we are seeing employers look at trying to solve this problem. Um, and a, um, the programs, I think, are growing in popularity. There's one study from 2019 that suggested 8% of uh, U.S. employers, or this is by the um, Society for Human Resources Management, SHRM, says that 8% of, human, 8% of employers are offering such programs in 2019. And that, although that might seem like a small percentage, that's double what the percentage was in 2015. So we definitely see a trend uh, growing there. And then um, another uh, firm, Willis Towers Watson, did a survey, and they, uh, according to their data, they believe that 32% of firms will be offering some sort of benefit by 2021. So you can see, again, the need for uh, active, smart employers to actively go about trying to solve this problem. And we think it's really driven by two things. One, there's uh, competition for talent. So if you have a young demographic in your workforce, you might... um, this might be a great way you can differentiate yourself from other potential employers. And again, this debt burden that you talked about, Anne, is what's really really driving that. So um, I think the, this will segue into our, our four different approaches that have been tried before. The, the utilization has been somewhat low now because of the cost, frankly. I think a lot of folks sure. don't have the cost. And so some of these um, versions, I like to think of them as version 1.0, 2.0, et cetera, uh, have a cost thing where employers are actually spending hard dollars. And so it's harder for employers to come up with those hard dollars. But why don't we jump into, um, what, what would we say is version 1.0 in terms of solutions that have been tried so far, Ian? Sure, Joe. I think version 1.0 would be employers who are helping their employees get a better rate on those uh, student loans. And many employers now partner with firms to 
offer employees an ability to refinance their student loans by consolidating payments, lowering interest rates, and, and similar features. Our, our exactly. law firm, right. um, Winston and Strawn, offers um, Common Bond. Uh, other similar firms include SoFi, um, Tuition, IO, Goodly, Gratify. So there are, are many firms that provide these consolidation opportunities for employers. And there are some you know, obvious benefits to these programs. They, they don't cost a, a lot um, unless the employer wants to make a contribution um, to these refinancings. Um, and they're relatively easy to implement. These other firms um, administer the programs on behalf of the employers. And if the employers want to contribute um, to help their employees with the payments, there are a couple ways they can do that. Um, they can subsidize the interest rate potentially, um, or they could re reimburse employees a certain amount each, each month um, to cover a portion of the, their employees' student loan repayments. And I guess uh, theoretically, um, we've also tossed around the, the opportunity that the, uh, the possibility rather that the employer could buy the debt, um, but we've, I don't think we've ever seen that, right, Joe? We have not, no. So I, I think, yeah, th this seems to be the most common. This version 1.0 is to just say this is on our employee webpage where we have discount programs for if you need to buy a new TV or you, you know you want to uh, refinance your mortgage. We now have a way to refinance your student loans, and it's an easy thing for an employee to roll out. And like you said, I think the most common um, add-ons to that, which will lead us to version 2.0, is is you know can the employer help with that? So we helped you refinance it, and maybe as long as you work here. We will subsidize the interest rate if you quit, and it can sort of be a retention vehicle. But if you quit, you don't uh, get the subsidized interest rate anymore. So that, yeah, I think that's a, a nice summary of version 1.0 in terms of things employers are doing. Uh, the next one I, I think we see is version 2.0 is is where the employer would just provide some money to help. Um, and there's lots of examples of this in terms of um, XYZ big brokerage firm or ABC accounting firm or some large healthcare company providing their employees new employees. With a benefit that seems to be on average of you know two thousand dollars a year, maybe up to a ten thousand dollar cap to pay for their student loans. Um, and so in terms of the pros and cons of this approach, the benefits are somewhat like the first one. It's it's relatively easy to implement. You need some documentation to do it, but but a pretty straightforward implementation. Uh, the issues by and far, um, again, like I said at the outset, why participation or employer utilization of these programs is low is this this is the one that involves. Um, a hard cash cost. So I think for employers, there's an expense issue. We have to um, make sure we have money to provide that additional benefit. It, 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 at some level, it also provides a fairness issue. I think that some mm -hmm. folks in the HR community struggle with that. Uh, some employees will say, "Well, I, you know, my coworker gets ten thousand dollars, you know, a year, and I went to a lesser school. I went on scholarship. Or I worked part time. I uh, was, you know, on a student work loan thing." So. You have that issue to think about, um, but but I think in, by and large the, the the leading issue is the expense issue about where do we we just don't have room in the budget to to um, provide an extra benefit like that for a lot of our clients. So that that leads us to uh, version 3.0. I think where employers try and figure out is there a way we can repackage some of our existing spend to provide this employer benefit. Right, and and one idea to that that uh, point, Joe, is to allow employees to contribute their paid time off um, in, in one fashion or another. 
And another idea, which has received a, a lot of attention lately, is a plan design under which employees can receive a matching contribution based on 401k contributions that they make to their employer savings plan, or um, a non-elective student loan contribution that the employer makes on their, on their behalf to the plan, but they can't get both. So they either get matching contribution on their 401k or they get a, a separate standalone um, student loan contribution from, from the employer. And this approach was recently approved by the IRS in a private letter ruling. And this approach was carefully designed um, to satisfy a technical issue, um, the contingent benefit rule. And this rule states that no other benefit may be con conditioned directly or indirectly on an employee's decision to make or not to make 401k contributions to a plan. Matching contributions are exempt from this rule, but student loan contributions are not. They're subject to this technical contingent benefit rule. And so in this um, version 3.0, the, uh, um, uh, the ordering of any matching contribution and any student loan contribution becomes important. And as well, employers considering this approach should also analyze who will administer the program, who will, who will track student loan payments um, for purposes of a non-elective student loan contribution to the 401k plan. Um, employers should know that there are some non-discrimination testing issues um, that are attached. Um, you have, the plan would need to perform coverage and um, amounts testing for each element of each feature of the plan, the 401k, the match, and the student loan um, contribution. And then um, last, but, last but not least, um, the version 3.0 may not be available or workable for safe harbor plans. And um, those are plans that provide a, a specific benefit um, to all employees in a plan um, and, and get out of or avoid non-discrimination testing. That's right. So yeah, I think those, and that's, that's well said, the, the, the two hangups or at least two takeaways here from this, this uh, version 3.0 is um, you need to understand exactly, you know, this is frequently communicated to employees as a matching contribution on their student loan pay, much like if they get a matching contribution on their 401k contributions, but it's not technically a matching contribution. It's a profit sharing contribution and that has attendant testing consequences, you know, flow from that. So we can address all of those, but just something you need to be aware of and make sure you're thinking about that right with the record keeper and the testing. Uh, and then the limitation on safe harbor plans is, is a real um, problem. If you have a safe harbor plan design where people put in a 401k contribution, they have to get a match. And again, the design Anne's talking about is, is really premised on an employer that doesn't want to give both a match and a student loan contribution. So uh, it's not as easy in that type. It's not really possible, I'd say, in that plan to, to say someone will not get a match. So it's in a safe harbor plan, they would have to get both. And so that leads us to what we think is version 4.0 in terms of what's coming next, um, in, in terms of where we might get relief, both on a, a regulatory administrative level from the IRS and on a legislative level from uh, Congress. And so we had a meeting with um, the IRS and Treasury a couple months back, and they have indicated a willingness to address this um, issue and provide guidance that all employers could rely on. The, the private letter ruling only applies to the one taxpayer to whom it was issued is, is the standard caveat on those sort of private letter rulings. It's, it's always indicative of, um, of 
in the IRS's thoughts on a particular issue, but it can only be relied on by that one particular taxpayer. So the idea is they would issue a revenue ruling that's similar to the um, to the private letter ruling, and, and other taxpayers could rely on it. And I think the and they've started a regulatory process to that. They are very inclined to help. They were very uh, responsive and, and uh, to everyone's concerns, and I think they're inclined to help as best they can within the confines of the statute. So the tax code. So. Um, the thought is the relief would, in the revenue ruling, would probably be very similar to the private letter ruling. It would cover a 401k plan um, with a, a sort of a make whole matching contribution based on student loan repayments, um, but it would not cover safe harbor things. Again, like we just talked about, uh, the, the gap here is with respect to safe harbor plans, and lots of lots of our clients have switched to safe harbor 401k plans where people are guaranteed to get a certain level of match. Um, and so that brings us to the legislative relief. And so in, in that regard, there is a couple proposals that have been floating through Congress that would uh, similarly uh, kind of mimic the approach that the IRS took forth in the private letter ruling. And I think that's part of the magic here is if we get a revenue ruling that's set from the IRS that says this works for a regular 401k plan, but doesn't work for a safe harbor plan, then there will be a need for Congress to act and say, okay, now we need to enact guidance that covers safe harbor plans. We'd have the same approach from the private letter ruling that a, a, a sort of de facto matching contribution based on student loan repayments would would work and actually would simplify a lot of the discrimination testing concerns that Ann raised. It would essentially be treated as a regular matching contribution, um, and so you wouldn't have to do as complicated. It wouldn't be a profit-sharing contribution. It would be tested as a matching contribution. So that would simplify things greatly. Uh, it would apply to safe harbor plans, and it would probably also apply to 403B plans, which are similar 401k plans, but for employers in a tax-exempt area. Obviously, since the private letter ruling was issued by a for-profit entity, it only, it only covers 401k plans, so this would also broaden that. So uh, hopefully we'll um, get legislative relief. It had very, um, almost incredibly bipartisan support. The, a couple of versions of this were reported out. Um, it's stalled a little bit due to some stuff in Congress right now, but hopefully this will get uh, enacted. Another thing that's been proposed is a, a, a bill called the Employer Participation and Repayment Act, uh, which would sort of piggyback off. There's an old uh, tax code benefit 127 that allows employers to pay up to $5,250 on a tax-free basis for employees to attend school currently. And the idea would be to sort of attend that, expand that retroactively so it could cover student loan debt. So uh, hopefully more good things to come on the administrative and legislative uh, fronts. And did I miss anything? No, you did great. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening in to another edition of uh, Winston's Benefit Blast podcast. We'd uh, ask you to please make sure to stay tuned for future episodes as we provide more insights on the latest legislative, regulatory, and practical developments regarding employee benefits and exec comp. We'd also ask you to uh, subscribe to our blog. You can do that by going on our website at winston.com, and there you can also find other updates on the latest legal developments in the employee benefits. Thanks everyone for your attention.